Now, I've got a little bit of a favour to ask up front. If you're enjoying our episodes, there's about 30% of you that are listening that aren't actually following us. So if you haven't hit follow or subscribe, can you please do it? It helps us get discovered and share more of these extraordinary stories with a whole lot more people. And secondly, God, if you're able to leave us a review, that would be the best. It only takes a couple of seconds, but it definitely, one, will help us when we're chatting, the impact we're making in terms of what are your takeaways, but also two, help us get discovered so more of these stories of Aussie agriculture can hit the airways and go anywhere in the world. Now, this week I'm sitting on Nanyuana country in Armidale. We're in a hotel room. I'm sitting down with Jack Laurie. We're here just before the University of New England's career day. We've just ticked that one off and we're about to head to the industry night tonight where both Jack and myself are on a panel. So I thought, lock him away so we're both running late. Sit down and have a chat and find out more about his journey. Now, God, Jack's an incredibly humble dude. I've got a co-host, Millie, alongside me who a few of you might have met. She is a key part of the Humans VAG team. We thought we'd just have a bit more of a chat. Mill has known Jack for quite some time and I wanted to understand a little bit more about him because what is fascinating about Jack is from his dorm at the University of New England, he actually began to start and run a global genetics business and today it is truly remarkable what he's able to do. He's still only a young fellow. He's absolutely tied back into the family farm down at Moppy in Gloucester. And today he's the owner of Breeder Genetics, a genetics company focusing on selling semen. It is a breeder-to-breeder platform providing a marketplace for all beef producers all over the world. Over the next five years, Jack hopes to see Breeder Genetics develop and supply more genetic services, along with the hiring of more staff and growing capital within the wider supply chain sectors. Now, I found it really fascinating chatting to Jack because he's grown this business that's been his baby passion project where he saw a problem, identified it, and then has grown it from there. And... He's now trying to work out how does he continue to grow and have impact, support the business into the future. And part of that is going to be around growing the team. But what are the parts that he lets go of? What are the things that he holds on to? And how's he actually going to approach it? So it is a fascinating little chat. I think his backstory is awesome. I better say good day to the lorries because uh, I did go to school with Sandy and who's Jack's cousin. And I'm sure they'll be tuning in from the Barrington Tops. Now, in this chat, we chat about everything from runaway bushmen who were hiding out of the back of their property for quite some time through to Jack's journey and story. It's a fascinating chat and I'm looking forward to you guys listening to it. Let's jump into it. Millie, co-hosting, you've had enough of being the guest. You thought you'd bring someone else in. Mate, I'm the real host. You're my co-host. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I quite like it. Okay, you introduce it. Who have we got today? We've got Jack Laurie. What do you know about Jack? Jack likes cows. <laughs> so, well, that's pretty easy to put. Yeah. No, Jack is a very impressive individual and I'm pretty excited to see what he tells us today. And so this one came through you, or the connection came through you. I'd had Jack mentioned a few different times in different circles, went to school with your cousin. Yep. There's a few lorries running around, but mate, welcome to the Humans of Ag podcast. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks, Holly. Bloody awesome to be here. Now we're recording. This is kind of like the interview before the interview for us yep. tonight. What would be one question on the panel that you definitely don't want to be asked tonight? Oh, uh, probably how we can make better collaboration amongst young people, maybe. Okay. Don't like that question? No. No, because I don't have an answer. Fair. Let's talk about your background and interest. We're here in Armidale, which is yep. a very cold place. Yep. You're yep. back from uni, but whereabouts are you based these days and what are you up to? 
Yep. So I'm based uh, about an hour west of Gloucester, uh, where we run Nola Livestock, our family, Laurie family there. Um, and yeah, we run, run. Oh, look, we're getting close to calving down about 300 stud calves a year. Then we also have about 500 commercial cows we run there uh, on property bull sale last Friday, July. So yeah, getting pretty close to that now. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what uh, the family does. Me personally then uh, founded Breeder Genetics, um, uh, what's that now, about four years ago. Um, and yeah, kind of been doing that ever since. Finished up uni during that time uh, and been, yeah, graduated uni December last year. Perfect. Well, I reckon we've got a bit to uncover. Tell me, what is Gloucester famous for? Oh, geez, you put me on the spot there. <laughs> um, oh, I'm going to have to think about that. What's Gloucester famous for? Probably not much. Um, there was, so there is a... Um, Fugitive? Uh, yeah, okay. We can do, <laughs> Yes, yes, that's excellent. Okay, Malcolm Naden was caught on our next door neighbour's place, who go. was Australia's most wanted man for quite some time. Um, and yeah, I was, I was in year eight. This is, this is a while ago now. Yeah. So I, I was, I just started uh, boarding school at Knox and, um, yeah, Malcolm, he was, um, yeah, caught on our neighbor's place. Not, uh, we probably can't confirm or, or I shouldn't say deny, but can't confirm he was, um, in, in our house flogging things, but yeah, no, it was a bit of an interesting time. Lots of, um, cop. Uh, stock guys and on horses they used our horses to try and track him down through the bush with not much luck and um yeah no that was a bit of an interesting time i thought it was awesome because all these cops rolling around with pretty cool gear and probably didn't quite understand the severity of it as a young kid it was pretty yeah interesting that's for sure was it unnerving like knowing that this person literally has been living uh, there for at, ever yeah at the time Probably didn't realise the severity of it. Certainly looking back on it now, yeah, absolutely would. Like if it happened now, yeah, definitely I'd be nervous. Um, pro probably now more so, more nervous for things like my mum, auntie, sister, grandmother, those sort of people in my life that were living there at the time. So certainly, yeah, looking back on it, understanding the measures we did and, and the kind of things, having a younger sister, a mother, auntie, grandmother um, around and, you know, his history. It, yeah, probably looking back on it, yeah, definitely can understand why we did what we did during yeah. that time. Crazy. It was like yeah. insane to think that literally was a, a true Bushman. He was. He was. And um, I, I, I don't know all the ins and outs, but he was bloody good at getting away from those cops and obviously did it for seven years in the bush. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know if I'd like to sit down and have a yarn with him, but certainly um, – yeah, certainly he he was good at obviously a bit of bushcraft and he and he knew how to live off the land and did it, you know, relatively successfully for seven years whilst evading the cops. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I found it yeah quite odd, but yeah, it was an interesting story. They um they eventually put trackers in um in so much stuffs and it um the story is that the locals sort of tell and and the local cops will tell is that. Um, they put put a tracker in the blue ribbon ice cream, and when he opened the lid to get some ice cream, the trackers went off. A really good family friend got a phone call who was looking after the place and said, "Oh, you know, it's three a.m. Are you into the ice cream for a midnight snack?" And said no. And next thing, cops came down from everywhere, and in they went, and out he went. And I think it was a dog. A dog pulled him down in the end. All um, over a bit of ice cream. All over a bit of ice cream. <laughs> well, that's the story, anyway. That's a hell of a yarn. 
What were you going to say Gloucester was famous for? <laughs> uh, well, I was actually thinking it's still about cops, but it's dirty cops. A plane took off and crashed in the Gloucester area that was supposedly filled with a heap of um, dirty money and God knows what else um, out of, from Coffs Harbour. And that, I'm going to guess, was in about the 80s. And oh, it's probably not so much anymore, but when I was younger, there was always people trying to come and find it. And that's about all I could think of. Right, out in the Barrington Tops somewhere. Out in the Barrington Tops, exactly. Mystery they went continues. down in a bad storm trying to then get into Newcastle. <laughs> wow. There you go. So let's talk about yep. early influences. You, you mentioned your family, which is really cool, but mm-hmm. early influences of agriculture, was it obvious oh, from day, day one? one? Yeah, yeah, no, day one. I, uh, there's photos of, of all us five kids, you know, on, on horses as tiny little kids, you know, strapped to mum or dad. And, yeah, no, it was uh, probably, uh, I shouldn't say we didn't have a choice, but certainly at, at a young age we, we were exposed to it kind of whether we liked it or not and certainly that shaped um, who who we all are today. But, yeah, the exposure to agriculture was something really prevalent in our, in our early lives, that's and for sure. Was it just the practical side or did your parents and, and family really show you into the importance of partnerships and business and everything? Yeah, it probably um, certainly the practical side was really strong growing up, but a lot of that business side of things, partnerships within the industry was happening anyway. Um, a little bit of it probably felt to some degree normal because that's all we knew and, and we didn't know otherwise on how those things were. Again, that's probably shaped a little bit how I operate on a few things, but certainly as we've gotten older, probably understood those connections and, and partnerships we make within the industry a little bit more important. Um, but certainly the practical side of things was, yeah, that was kind of from day one. And are your siblings still in agriculture today? Yeah, so I have a younger sister. Um, and she's actually in her fourth year here at UNE doing rural science. Is she coming um, to watch you tonight? She's not. She's she's oh. getting ready for our open day tomorrow. That's why I'm up here. Oh, that works all right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Someone's got to do the work. So, no, Georgie, um, she's she's down um, getting ready for that tomorrow. So, yeah, just one one younger sister. Tell me, so out of Knox, good old Knox boy, you, did you yep. have Mr. Bryson? I did have Mr. Bryson. <laughs> no, actually, and I still keep in touch with Bryce. Eh? Do you? Yeah, I see he's him up around a bit. Maitland or something. Yeah, uh, Hunter Valley Grammar, I think, is where he is. Yeah, no, I still see him around. Yeah, we'll good old Mr. fella. Bryson. I will. I will. <laughs> <laughs> the ag, like in a metro area, I think is, mm-hmm. is different, and I think the connotations yep. it can get as a subject was really interesting. Yep. For you leaving high school, it was was it obvious that an agriculture subject was going to be the pathway forward, and that you'd end up here at UNE in Armidale? Um. Not probably as obvious as you might think. So I left school and then I kind of then wanted to go down the trodden path of going north somewhere and ended up getting linked up uh, with a guy guy by the name of Ray Thiem. Um, Ray at the time was working for AACO and he um, reached out to him and put me then through the AACO channels, Um, got accepted to go and work um, at Dalganelli up in the Gulf and that was always kind of, and I didn't really have a plan after that. Probably knew university and tertiary degree was a part of it. Just didn't know when or how that was going to, um, yeah, kind of, kind of work out. Um, probably I did that for one year, probably should have done it longer. Um, it's probably, yeah, maybe a regret that I've had. Certainly probably should have done another year up there. I really enjoyed it. Um, 
and then yeah, but I did then leave um, that job um, basically then to to go down the path of of university, um, and hence then yeah ended up here in Armidale at UNE. So turning the clock back, did did you feel there's a pressure like and you, and you said you kind of wish you'd done two years. Do you feel that there's a pressure and a need to go, shit, I need to get my career going and started and every year seems like a waste of time? Yeah, to some extent, but um, not not necessarily. Um, was probably pretty lucky that had family support kind of just saying, oh, you know, if you want to stay up there, do it. Um, I probably knew that staying in the north was not going to be my end game and knew that I wanted to get back down here in the south I was loved my genetics, so passionate about cattle and cattle breeding, data, um, statistics. So I knew that tertiary education was going to be a part of a career, a, a step forward. I just didn't know when that was going to be. So I was probably more self-driven at that stage to do that because I just knew, well, that's the next step. So I'll just take it and let's go. Um, but probably looking back on it now, probably, yeah, probably potentially could have stayed up there for at least another year just to kind of broaden my horizons, just understand that northern production system just that little bit better um, and kind of then go from there potentially. Um, yeah, and, and it's funny, if I probably wasn't doing what I am now, I probably actually would be quite happy to go back up there and just disappear to some extent and chase cows again. The man knows how to do a conduit, doesn't he? So let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now. Yeah, can we? Can you? Yeah, can go you for share? it. You, you said you only finished uni what last year. Yep. But in the meantime, you've built breeders' genetics. Yep. Breeder genetics. Breeder genetics. Breeder genetics. How how did that come about? Sure. So um, I mentioned there when I left AACO. So that was um, yeah, and actually the catalyst to leave AACO was. Um, I had some friends that had been in Canada um, going over to some shows there and they said, oh, they're, Jack, they're starting this international kind of delegate kind of program. We reckon you might fit the criteria having an Angus stud being interested in genetics. You should apply and see if they'll give you a grant to fly to Canada. And I thought, oh, well, what have I got to lose? So I applied and sure enough, I get this cash to go to Canada. And I had to go within that year. And so that was probably the catalyst to leave AA. And it's because I sort of said, well, look, this is an opportunity. Don't really want to knock it back. I went to Canada. Um, and so that was end of 2017. And during that time, we actually did buy a heifer when we were over there. So I suppose it worked. Um, but also met some really amazing people. And the um, Townsend family in um, Canada, in Alberta, they kind of just more or less adopted me and um, fell into their family and they're kind of, yeah, long, long lost family on the other side of the world. And they're awesome people. So I, um, actually then went back the following year, 2018 and was working for them, uh, for about three months, um, leading into their winter season and through their show season. Um, I then get a phone call whilst I'm over there from some fellow Angus breeders. Um, and they said, Hey, we heard, heard you over here in America. If you can get to Chicago by this date, we'll pick you up. And then we'll take you around on an Angus tour. And I said, sweet, sounds good. Get to Chicago, they pick me up and off we go. Um, and that was early December. Um, sort of going around and then I'm like, well, I've got to get home. Like Christmas is coming. So much to my mother's disgust, I then flew into Australia on Christmas morning um, and didn't get any help from getting from the airport and had to find my way home, which is probably fair enough. <laughs> um, Not salty. And 
But during that trip, probably saw a big gap that a lot of the bulls and sires and genetics we were liking in the US were bulls that we didn't necessarily always have access to through traditional methods in Australia. Also kind of was also a catalyst that, right, there's a lot going on here in the US that we probably don't understand well enough from a production system standpoint that would be influencing genetics from America. And we need to understand how to uh, understand our similarities and differences better when, when we look at these genetics so we can make better decisions uh, for our own Australian production system. So that kind of kicked things you know, got the ball rolling, kicked things down the road. And basically at the start of 2019, that was then kind of the um, catalyst to write, oh, I think we can do something. At the same time, um, I was obviously then at uni, got more opportunities to travel around Australia, looking at cattle for our, our start. And just because it's a like, I just love it. That then probably showed me that there's a lot of cattle here in Australia that are probably good enough to be marketed uh, not only nationally, but internationally. And that then probably really set me on to, well, righto, there's a, th there's a gap here in the market. Um, what are we going to do about it? And I then started talking to breeders about it and it was kind of sort of, well, why don't, you know, if you've got a problem, you fix it. So that was kind of then how it started. It just kind of, the ball just kept rolling and it just got bigger and bigger. I think uh, the company was registered maybe sometime early to mid 2019 end of 2019 went back to america we saw some genetics that we'd seen before we liked and basically it all started from there um had all these things planned for 2020 and then as we know covid hit and kind of sort of last year to some extent and this year has been kind of our first year out of that covid time frame to kind of get out and about and do things. So it's probably been a little bit of a blessing in disguise though, because it probably allowed us to uh, learn a few more of the internal things of, of selling genetics and selling semen. I just want, well, I don't ever actually ask people their ages, but 2019, yep. what age were you? 2018. Yeah. When uh, you started to think about discovery. that. Uh, I would have been 20. Holy dooly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so. So I had my 21st on a plane. Yeah, right. Yeah. Raven. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you also said we. Who, who's the we? And like obviously the brainchild of yours, but those early days? Yeah, like yeah. So, so so, the we team is is more effectively things like family, uh, close sort of mentors, people that have helped me. There, there's, there's probably a lot of people that might listen to this going, oh, yeah, we know what happened there and all those things. Like there was a lot of people I spoke to. And, you know, I, I speak of it, I sent out a document of all my ideas and how it could work. And it was a massive document. To lots of people? Yeah, to a handful of people, probably not lots, but just probably, uh, let's say a dozen or so, half a dozen and said, hey, these are, this kind of idea, what do you reckon? And all of them said, yep, gave me lots of critiques. And one person came back to me who I, I ask a lot of weird and wonderful questions to still. And they said, Jack, get it onto one page and then I'll look at it. And that was really good in refining everything and just getting everything back to a business plan of bare bone basics. And I probably took the liberty in that it was, I think it was about size seven font, like tiny, <laughs> no pictures, <laughs> no headings. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to fit as much on. But I got a lot out of it because it made me pull everything back to bare bones. And then I sent it and then I got a lot of critiques. So it was quite good. But keeping it simple, stupid kind of resonated then. And that's always stuck with me. Um, and certainly, during that time, it yeah, it was it was good. It was it was awesome. I actually really probably one of the highlights of doing 
all of this business stuff is actually getting that brainchild out and watching it grow effectively. Jack, you've said it really casually, but you've yes. gone on there, you've flown across to Canada and mm-hmm. these people have just called you up and said, now we want you down in Chicago, come down, we'll fly you. What did they see in you as, you know, less than 20 years old? What did they see in you that made them invest in you? Um, so, so I went down, um, so I took myself down. Um, I, what did they say? Uh, it, it was probably more of a drive that they said, oh, are you interested? And I said, yep, like, yep, tell me when I'll be there. Like, don't worry. Like, you know, it's it's not of a, oh, maybe. I was like, yep, I'll be there. Um, I don't know what they probably saw someone that was passionate um, about it um, and, and just loved, loved doing it. I, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, it's just a pure passion and love for, for beef cattle and, and for the industry as a whole, I think. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know how to answer that one. Um yeah, but it was it was it was cool. It was it was such an eye opener, such an eye opener um, to get to get in to, to see some of those places. Yeah, and I ask you because we know each other. Yes, We've, um, <laughs> done a few things with Angus Australia together, and you're probably one of the most humble people I know. <laughs> Thank and you. So I do want to um, yeah through this opportunity turn that up upside down a little bit because you are very successful now, and so. Breeder Genetics, can you tell us in a nutshell, what does it actually do for our audience? Sure. Not sauce seven fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, sure. So uh, Breeder Genetics, we are in the most simplest terms, a semen company. So we sell and market um, bull semen um, out of bulls. That's the most simplistic what it is. Uh, to expand on that, um, we operate on more of probably a breeder to breeder platform model um and we really pride ourselves on that we work hard for our bull um breeders and like the people we source there it's a funny dynamic because we kind of have two sets of clients we have the clients that are buying uh the semen but we also actually have then the clients that are breeding us the bulls so they're kind of two separate groups and we kind of act as the middleman in in between those two groups a lot of the time people will be in both, have a foot in both camps. Um, but it's actually the guys that are breeding us the bulls that that um, probably are like they're, they're our number one kind of clients. They're the guys that we really have, we really work hard with. Don't get me wrong, the guys buying the semen, if we don't have buying the semen, we, we don't have a cash flow, we don't have a product, like it, it, the model doesn't work. So don't get me wrong, we still obviously work pretty closely with them. But the stud guys that we work with on breeding bulls, and sourcing those bulls with, they're they're our I shouldn't say bread and butter, but they're they're the guys we work closely with, and the guys buying semen, they're the I guess bread and butter, and and they're the clients as such. They're what most people perceive as our clients, um, but we work yeah th- those guys that um, we market bulls for, they're they're the guys we hold pretty close to our heart. I love that. So we use the word like it's our heart and soul. Like literally, yep. it's the core of what we do is yes. the people and the stories. And similar to you, I think yeah, you've got the heart and soul of your business. Passion's one thing; turning it into a business and running it is another. Yep. What was the moment that this went from going, "Yeah, this is a passion and it's fun and fantastic and everything," to going, "Shit, this is a real business." And then I'd love to know a bit of the evolution from that and how have you managed to stay true to why this whole thing began as you've built it into, can we say empire? Uh, no, I don't know if we can say empire. (laughs) (laughs) 
business. Business, sure. Um, look, good question. It was probably when I started sending out those um, papers of, of this is kind of the idea, this is kind of the model, what do you reckon? They'd come back and a few people would then send back, great model, great idea, Mark, would you market this bull for us? That was kind of like, oh, okay, like so, you know, not only do they think it's a good idea, they actually want to be involved. So, you know, that's kind of tick, tick. Um, so we then launched, like, so launch was about, I reckon, middle of 2019 during then that spring period, we didn't sell a heap. We had web, like there was a whole lot of other things. We just kind of want to get the name out there and, you know, have a website, have a Facebook page, get a few things rolling and kind of then just let it roll along when the catalyst of when, okay, this is just taking over my life was probably actually at uni when I had to start trying to explain explaining and to some of my lecturers and professors what I was trying to do some were obviously a lot more receptive than others um and that's when I with that that was probably when I realized right I, actually this is going pretty well but you know this is snowballing was probably when I had to start saying look sorry this assignment's going to be late this is xyz um nine times out of ten wasn't an issue that was probably a, a catalyst of right oh well this is starting to grow and um probably you know uh, also, when I realized too, it, it's a lot of, a lot of this game is networking and the people, you know, like it's not many places, um, within the Angus circles I go now, where I wouldn't know at least one person or if not five or 10. And so that then has grown. And, and so it's, it's the, the, the catalyst is probably hard to pinpoint exactly where it was, but certainly around that kind of towards the end of 2020, um, when we'd had a lot of sales. Um, you know, the business was starting to float itself. Um, that, that was probably the catalyst in there some, sometime around there. Got one more question, Mel, then I'll throw it to you. Um, the, we, we hear of these stories, often Americans who the uni students that come up with this idea in the university dorm and then they drop out of uni and off they go into solving the world's problems. I'd really love to know why did you decide to stay at uni when it really was influencing that uni life? That is an excellent question and a topic that has been heavily discussed and debated amongst my friends and family. Um, I have had people tell me to drop out of uni, like what on earth are you doing focusing on uni? And then I had other people, no, you need to finish your degree. You never know what will happen. What actually kept me in was probably actually a commitment to myself that, right, I've started this, I want to finish it. Um, a few chemistry units in the end were bloody tough to get through. <laughs> um, so certainly it was definitely more actually personal for me to finish a degree. Um, but yeah, there was, it was for a very long time, kind of towards the end of my second year. Um, you know, you hadn't quite got into doing your majors, thesis, honors, that kind of stage, but you're just starting to get there. Um, yeah, de definitely it was a personal thing. I, I was, I'd started it and I wanted to knock it over. And they give it like the people who are involved in your business a hell of a lot of confidence too, in terms of your character. Yeah, it probably does. Um, yeah, it probably does from, from that standpoint. Um, you know, what, what we learned at uni is great, especially from the data and statistics standpoint, um, working with a lot of seed stock producers and seeing a lot of on-farm data, certainly a lot of that is really helpful from, from what we've learned at universities. 
um, and and probably you know some of the practical stuff. Yeah, sure, can be lacking, but it, it's a great knowledge base. And the people I've met through unis and still t- stay in touch with a few professors and and things like that. That's for sure. And so now, how does Brita Genetics look? You have a team around you. Day to day, it is me, myself, and I. Um, and I have do have as spoken about it. Do have a wonderful sister that does help out when I gallivant around the world. Um, and we do then outsource um, to a few people uh, things like shipping and logistics um, for the business. Marketing, we're just on the tracks now to get outsourced a bit more heavily. Um, so certainly, um, in terms of business day to day, it's just myself. Um, but there's a lot of people in the backgrounds that don't necessarily work under the breeder genetics banner, but certainly are doing work for us. That's for sure. And so you, it's you yourself and you, Yep. and you have, you know, people helping you in the background, but you've also got your family property yep. that you're obviously very invested in as well. And so what does day to day look like for you and how important is to you for your, do you call them clients? Yeah, clients, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like to, to be on the ground, you know, with them in person, in the yard. Oh, super, super important. Yeah, I place I place an extreme amount of importance on being uh, on the ground, seeing their system. Like, so if we're talking to a client and they ask, oh, what, what do you think or what's your opinion? I want to be able to know what they do, where they live, what their environment's like, what, what they're trying to achieve. If they're breeding bulls, what are their, their clients then trying to achieve? What production systems do they look at? Um, and the only way you can do that is boots on the ground, looking at cattle, understanding what they like, what they don't like. And it, it not only means that we can then probably source uh, better genetics for them, it also means we can make better decisions in terms of what I then or we put forward to them. Um, to say, hey, look at these two, instead of saying, look at these two, thinking, oh, yeah, they'll work, but maybe they actually don't. But the vice versa, saying, well, if you're trying to achieve this, this is a bull we know that's going to actually do that. So I, I place an extreme amount of importance on traveling, seeing these bulls, seeing what they're up to, the good, bad, and ugly. I think it's vitally important that we actually get out and look at look at what we're doing. So I'm going to play devil's advocate. Go for it. I think I get asked these questions a little bit too. And it's really interesting. It's really difficult, I think, as a business. You're so vitally important to your business. You've mentioned that there's the Australian clients, but actually how do you then support clients internationally as well? And as you were kind of saying there, so so important to be able to see the production systems, understand the people, et cetera. So how do you, how do you go that this is the business and the opportunity now, but then go with whatever yep we 10 times what we're doing yeah sure so right now we are definitely getting pretty close to the ceiling of what i can personally do absolutely what's that like uh stressful yeah it stressful um i definitely think i would be not probably honestly doing as good a job as i probably can be with a few things um it's definitely hard there's no, no doubt about it um there's busy times of the year where I just need to just get some stuff done and just be away from everything. Um, the so so how do we fix that? Um, getting some more staff is definitely the, a big part of that answer. 
Um, the biggest problem with staff in my situation though, is finding someone that knows the genetics, knows the cattle, uh, you can do all of that, but it needs to be the right person. Like we can probably teach them the genetic stuff, the pedigrees, the data, that's all stuff that we can probably teach. It's getting the right person. That's quite happily to talk to Bob for three hours about how his granddaughter's hamster is and, you know not maybe get a sale, get out something out of it, if that makes sense. So it's about finding that person that can develop relationships. They also probably need to, you know, to some, within some reason, see things similar and have probably the drive, passion, you know, all those things you'd look for in, in someone to hire. So definitely that is, I think, um, we probably need potentially some better internal systems to grow, but certainly we are getting towards the ceiling, um, of where things can go right, right now. Um, but yeah, there's definitely plans in place and procedures already in place to kind of break through that and move on to the next floor. That's exciting. And I think, so one thing I think there's a, there's a fascination with people when they see others doing really ex extraordinary things and yep. I'm sure you get the comments, you're killing it. It's amazing what you're doing, et cetera. You talked about being near the ceiling and if you're right with it, I'd love to know what is it actually like to be like, this is the potential of what we can create, but I am potentially near breaking point, whatever yep. it might be. What What is that like for you? Uh, it's exhilarating. Yeah? Um, yeah, and no, I find it exhilarating where we could be. Um, oh, I find it nothing more exciting when we can get things moving across the line, when we find the genetics we're looking for, I, I get so excited about it. And I think as Millie alluded to, there's nothing I like talking about mauling cattle and cows <laughs> and all sorts of things. So, so I, I, look, I do find it quite exhilarating. It is definitely, um, there are definitely times where it's been a tough day in the office. Things may not have gone your way or, you know, you've been outside doing things, having a great morning, you come back in and, you know, everything has gone to crap when you get in on the phone and the emails and plans just get thrown out the window. There's definitely days like that. I just look at myself and go, what on earth am I doing? Like this, like this can't be my future. Um, like what is going on? So yeah, there's definitely both sides of the coin, but without a doubt, the exhilarating part overweighs the downturn. That's absolutely for sure. And so what would you say you've learned about maybe the world of business, but also yourself through this roller coaster? Ooh, um, what have I learned about the world of business? Um, that business is so in, and this is obviously generalizing for the industry where we're in, in ag and more so what I'm in business is, is about people. Um, I think it's probably within reason got maybe nothing to do with the, the monetary value of things. Sure. We need, we need to make a living. We need to make a wage and we need things to, to be sustainable, but um, from economically sustainable from a business perspective, but certainly it's about the people we work with. Yeah, no, I, I actually do have a general, I generally do have a black book that is a blacklist of people I won't deal with within the industry. Just, I just don't really want to. I, it's just, I love dealing with good people and seeing people be successful. So um, I don't, um, yeah, it, it is definitely, the world of business is, is about people, I think. Um, and that to me is the most exciting part of it. The, what have I learned about myself? Um, oh, I probably learnt, um, probably learnt, um, family is probably most important in your darkest times. Um, well, I shouldn't say darkest times, but in the toughest times, 
Um, yeah, you, I think um, family is, is really important. And like I definitely attribute um, my, my father and uncle as two pretty big mentors in my life. Um, and, and, you know, if they say it's a no-go, it's going to be a no-go. Um, uh, certainly family is important. Um, friends, you know, those things are important. Um, you know, when you run a business like this, um, your social life kind of gets thrown out of the window, especially when you're at uni at college. Um, um, yeah, your social life kind of gets thrown out the window and it kind of dries up and just disappears overnight. So being able to catch up with friends and forget about everything and just enjoy whatever it is you're doing. Um, yeah, that's, I think that's really still important, but de definitely it's, it's all about people having the right network of people around you, definitely. Okay, I think it's about time we tell our community just how successful you are. And so mm -hmm. in the... Where's she going with this one? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I look nervous, you look nervous. <laughs> what do you know that I don't? <laughs> the last year, um, Breeder Genetics revenue yeah, yep. was almost $2 million and you've just touched on the value. Is that success or what is success to you? Um, sure. So, so first of all, I know where you got that figure from. Um, um, is it publicly available? Uh, yes, it is actually. And I do, I know, I know where Jake got it from too. Um, I checked. <laughs> um, to clarify on that one, um, it's, it's 2 million since we've started, um, not last year, which would be nice, but no. Um, but anyway, um, uh, is that success? Um, well, I think success probably more looks like on your bottom line. If you spend 10, if you spend $10 million and only make six, that's not really success. Um, certainly, yeah, it's good in my business success from, from a pure numbers and economic thing is probably not what my bottom line looks like. It's what the bottom line for our bull clients look like. So, so we pay royalties out on, on these bulls. So when we sell a straw of semen, a percent of that um, will actually then go back to the owners of that bull. The amount we can give back is actually what success in our business looks like. So the number then that is sort of publicly known there is we're just coming on to a million dollars in money we've injected back into the into the I guess the seed stock or the the, the industry in that, which is obviously bugger all but for our little business it's it's awesome and we haven't quite hit the million dollar mark but that'll be a pretty special day that that's definitely a massive goal um we're, we're getting darn close yeah we're, we're very close and then going forward what's your opportunity to to grow if you say you're almost at the ceiling how are you going to navigate that um yeah as you said yeah certainly um certainly getting some a staff member someone on board is going to have to be a pretty key part to that. And, and, and don't get me wrong, that makes things nervous. You know, this has always been my kind Tell of project. Me, look what I got to deal with. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's not that bad, is it? <laughs> <laughs> certainly, certainly. Um, yeah, certainly, you know, if I bring someone on and they have a differing of opinion, you know, it's, it's going to be, I, I personally, I don't know how I'm going to deal with some of that stuff. So Certainly finding the right staff member in my mind is really, really crucial. Um, and, and it maybe isn't as crucial as I think it is. And I'd be love, love to be, um, told wrong about that, but certainly finding someone that is going to be able to really push our um, business forward is going to be vital. Uh, and I think that's how we're going to have to succeed through that ceiling.
So I'll tell you a story only because it happened. It's got well, I don't know if it's embarrassing or not, but it's um, a mate from uni. (laughs) (laughs) What is this? No, a mate from uni was setting up a table at the cruise fair. He had this extra bit of ribbon pretty well. And so he'd laid out his tablecloth and then he's like, oh, we'll just put this there. So I was like, oh, I'll help you. I'll jump in and do it. Anyway, I was like, where do you want it? And he said, oh, just down the middle. And I was like, well, that's weird. It's going to be sitting across your logo. And I was like, why don't you put it to one side? Anyway, and it was like, it's the most simple analogy of he was meaning like along the center, middle of the table. I was looking at the dead center of the table. And for me in that moment, I was like, holy shit, this is the importance of having different people and also what you get from having, I'm looking at the center being right through the middle. It's going to cover the logo. He was looking at it going lengthwise. Both are down the middle, but they're two different things. That yeah, you can definitely. Look at the same thing, have two different outcomes. Yeah, and definitely. And I think that's why you, I, I think that actually probably highlights why we do need other people in our business to show a different perspective. Yeah. Um, and, and I need that because, you know, we look at bulls and we go, right, is this a semen tie? Is this a bull we can market? Um, and, and, you know, people know, I will send people bulls and say, hey, what do you reckon of this bugger? You know, what, what do you think? Um, and get their thoughts and opinion. And I said, oh, this. I said, oh, I didn't even see that. Yeah, cool. Awesome. That's a no-go or, yeah, that's a tick. Um, so definitely those things, you know, you look at a perspective and get other people's perspective on, on a business and how things can work, I think is, yeah, really crucial. But those perspectives, I still believe, have to be in line with, with what you're doing. Yeah, 100%. Have the guiding light of the purpose why you exist and then allow the others to come in and give yep. their ideas or the tactics in terms of how you're actually going to achieve that. Yep. Yep. Millie, we've got one question we ask in every podcast. <laughs> do you know what it is and do you want to ask it? <laughs> yes. Because I'm a victim myself. Jack, do you have a joke for us? It's not actually the question <laughs> I was thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it one about careers? I reckon I even know what it is. <laughs> but do I have a joke? Here we um, go. No, I don't. <laughs> Not that can probably be put on this podcast. <laughs> Come on. No, 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 no. Okay. Well, then what do you reckon the question is? Because <laughs> I'm going to say the three M's. No? Oh, no? I think it's um, if you were to tell a year 10 student and tell them why they should be a part of agriculture or give them some advice, what would you say? Oh, to someone that's in ag or not in ag? So if you get the chance to go back to Knox and yeah. chat to the – whole year 10 cohort and say like yeah advice around why they should consider a career in agriculture what would you say to them um definitely i've probably already spoke about it definitely hone in on the people um but probably also now in in modern day ag the the opportunities i I actually think you know you look at where some of these technology things are going it's it's bloody out of this world some of this stuff like you know, we, we need, we actually need, we need engineers. We need tech heads. We need, a, we need data guys. We need so many things to fuel ag. And I think we forget that sometimes that, you know, we think of ag and we think of farmers out in the paddock and that's great. That's awesome. That is, you know, that's the picture story, right? But we still need people outside to, to support and funnel. We need inventors of tech. We need so many different things. We need food safety people. We need bone. We need... Um, we need industry, government things to make sure we're keeping line in check. We need marketers to market a product. You know, we need to remember ag is still producing food and fiber. So if we can't do that um, and we don't have the funds around us and the 
the network of the people and everything around us to, to actually enhance that and do that, we've got a serious problem on our hands. So what would I say to those year 10 kids? Um, you know, I, I don't know. I'd have to think about that, but it'd definitely be around that, that, you know, if you want to, if you're, if you want to go and invent some bit of tech, cool, but come do it in ag, you know, come do that. Um, I think though I'd have to play them a video, a pretty cool video of bull catching in the north and maybe mm-hmm. some fun stuff like that. And we'll have to dig that one out. Yeah. <laughs> do some fun stuff like that, maybe. But um yeah, certainly I, I actually I actually think nearly every career has a pathway into ag and try and funnel that in. Well said. Mate, thank you for coming and being part of no it. Worries. We better run to get to this dinner. Yeah, we we're gonna be late to our own panel. We are. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna be late to our own dinner here. <laughs> Thanks for that, mate. It was awesome. Fantastic. Thanks, Ollie. Thanks, Millie. Well, that's it for another episode from us here at Humans of Agriculture. We hope you're enjoying these podcasts and well if you're not, let us know. Hit us up at hello at humansofagriculture.com. Get in touch with any guest recommendations, topics, or things you'd like us to talk and get curious about. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, rate, subscribe, review it. Any feedback is absolutely awesome and we really do welcome it. So look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane. We'll see you next time. See ya.